Outside on our porch, and we have some fence guys coming. So, with any luck, there won't be hammering in the background. <laughs> we'll have to see if we have to pause, but we'll do our best. Um, so, just a setup and a reminder of where we are. Uh, today, we're talking about the two case chapters. Right. One, well, two of the three. One on Argentina, one on Mexico. Um, and so I'm just going to record in the basement if we have we to, could record right? In the basement. I mean, that would be That's one true. place that we could also okay. finish. Sorry. Okay. Um, much more pleasant out here though. It's very nice. Wonderful it's day. Lovely weather. Lovely early fall day. Okay. So anyway, 
So I'm going to just read you a little bit from the very opening of the chapter on Argentina, okay. page 111. Um, which is Argentina was a case that had good success. success. Chile had the lowest success. Right. Okay. Yeah, okay. Chile is such a disaster. Well, but Crazy. it's interesting. Okay. We'll, ta- we'll right, talk we'll more. I mean, I'm curious to read that case. Okay. In- anyway, so, all right. Argentina's enactment of gay marriage in 2010 placed the country at the forefront of gay and lesbian rights. I argue that policy change on the gay marriage front is the result of the ability of gay and lesbian activists to weave extensive and effective networks in their push for policy reform and to convince policymakers of the merits of their policy objective in a manner that resonated with larger social debates. Key to policy reform was the permeability of the political system by networks in support of gay marriage and the lack of veto points by opponents. Okay. So that's his broad argument. We're going to see how that plays out today in the cases of uh, Argentina and Mexico, um, and then next week we will get to think a little bit about, about Chile. the Chilean case. Great, great. All right. So should should I yeah. open us up here? Open us up. All right. From page one fifteen, in the lead up to the drafting of con- of a constitution for the newly decentralized city of Buenos Aires. Activists worked to include a non-discrimination provision. And here's the quote. They exercised pressure through forcing individual drafters to take a public position on the issue. There's an on the period here. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Um, I imagine the issue. On the issue, yeah. Activists believed that it would be difficult for these individuals to oppose publicly their demand, given the saliency of human rights in post-transitional Argentina. And they seem to have read things correctly. According to a constitutional drafter, the issue of non-discrimination was so well-placed, that is, instalado, in public debates that no one opposed to it would dare express it publicly. Okay, so human rights was a powerful enough frame. Correct. That in drafting a constitution for this decentralized city, a non-discrimination provision framed around human rights was just that frame was just too powerful that no one was willing to step outside that or right. oppose that frame right. to be seen as opposing discriminate to be seen as opposing non-discrimination was to be seen as an opponent of human rights an authoritarian to be an authoritarian i think i mean he doesn't yeah. say us no right as i mean, much, but I mean those are the people right? who are opposed like, to human rights yeah. in argentina right um yeah so buenos aires had recently gotten its own constitution well it's own like been its own government right separate from the national government right so that it had gotten sort of status and that's statehood dc statehood sort of yeah and that it was in this process of this capital right yeah yeah it's like mexico city that like and mexico city also was late in getting to like have a elected mayor and got you um right so so this is the constitution gets drafted in this period. Like they get to draft their own kind of state constitution, even though I don't think they're officially a state. So I think it's like Mexico City. That's really interesting. That's really interesting, right? So they had that after the transition from the authoritarian regime. That's interesting. Like it's a moment of founding. Right, correct. But it's in the wake of... It's in a much more contemporary period. Right, and in one that is clearly in reaction to a... right. Right. A more repressive period, right? right? And right. so there is, in the forefront of everyone's mind, are ways that certain things could be subverted, right? I mean, right. that's yes. interesting. Yeah, yeah. That's interesting. So this was an important win, this early sort of getting anti-discrimination sort of officially into the Buenos Aires' constitution. Um, and it gave gay rights increased visibility, and it also ended up forcing a reform on the old police edicts. We kind of talked about these a little bit. It was mm. like ways that they could sort of harass gay people. Mm. Um, and But once this was like part of the Constitution, it became clear that these police edicts harassing gay people were like clearly in violation of this right. new Constitution. And right. so that, that then created like kind of seamlessly a reform of those police um, edicts. And the fight also importantly developed a strategic repertoire of sort of finding party fissures and cultivating support from individual politicians. Um, And then the fight after this sort of the pressure that was exerted to push this into the constitution uh, was a fight for civil unions in Buenos Aires. Okay. So the activists sort of start here 
I mean, there, we saw before there was sort of historical mobilization on other lines. Then you get this moment of where Diaz is including this in this kind of contemporary fight. Mm -hmm. And then after this uh, win, they move on to fighting for civil unions. Okay. So this is 121 and 122. This is about this fight for civil unions, the close collaboration they established with journalists who were sympathetic to their cause, helped present the, present the issues as present the issue, excuse me, as one of basic rights. Given the way the public debate unfolded, legislators had a sense that the debates had been won in the court of public opinion by the time the vote was held, making it easier for reluctant counselors to vote in favor. After a 14-hour debating session on December 12, 2001, the Buenos Aires legislature voted in favor of the proposal, and it was signed by the mayor coming into effect in March 2002. All right, so this is about the about the collaboration with journalists mm -hmm. and yeah. using the journalists to essentially um, provide a sense of cover for the legislators. I mean, I think I thought it was interesting that this sense that, like, not just that the journalists provided cover so much, as but that, like, it was seen, people understood public opinion on this issue to have shifted. Right. So I think then you saw that moment where in where the, I mean, I guess this is what you would sort of want in some ways a democracy to actually be representing its constituents, right? Mm -hmm, that like mm -hmm. these legislators who might have been hesitant are like, well, right. I see that everybody's public opinions for on my it, side, so, so I guess no I to oppose it. right. I don't need to like oppose this out of fear for my seat because like basically right. everybody's in favor. So I mean, it, it's an interesting model of like we've talked about ways of success and the sort of policy success here. I think we see sort of. That the success that the movement has primarily first is mm -hmm. this public opinion shift, right? Mm -hmm. That they're actually, which then is part of convincing legislators right. to make policy change. Now, far be it from me to, re I, if I remember right, the story that he was telling was about how activists had been sort of incorporated into the state. Yeah. I haven't seen anything like that yet. Yeah, so um, that is, I think, I can't remember whether some of these, I've, I've left some, sure. obviously. These are like super long, sure, big sure. chapters. Um, so in these fights, I forget exactly what well-placed. There are moments where like part of how these things come up and into the agenda are people like running for elected office. And even though they lose, they then like push something onto the agenda. So you see this like. Right, they create something that's an issue. The journalism works yes. as an issue to clarify public opinion. This is a very happy story about democracy. Yeah, so you see that kind of going in and out. Yeah, we love this. Of, uh, yeah. So. I think I get, I'm going to focus more, we're going to quickly move to the national fight, okay. so there may be some more examples okay. of that here. Um, because basically what happens after this is that attempts were made at introducing similar legislation in several other states in um, okay. Argentina. Uh, however, most of them failed, right? Okay. And the main reason behind the failure, uh, according to Diaz, is the, the general weakness of the gay and lesbian movement outside of Buenos Aires. Sure. So, right, you have a very strong movement in the city, which is where most of the people are. Right. right. I mean, like right. a huge, I forget what percentage of the Argentine population is in Buenos Aires or greater right. Buenos Aires, but it's enormous. Um, so, so you have failure. So that this doesn't create any kind of policy diffusion, right? Basically, it's like you mm -hmm. get this win in Buenos Aires. There's no policy diffusion. And the fact that federalism, the way that federalism is structured in Argentina meant that the like locally recognized civil unions did not necessarily translate into the extension of federal benefits. So like same-sex couples who we talked about before were partly concerned about material benefits, mm -hmm. um, could not necessarily access those benefits that they had hoped to access, like pensions and, mm -hmm. right, this was still withheld because this, these were like not, those benefits were administered at the national level and this was a local. Got you law. Does that make sense, right? So that you have yep. this, like, because of federalism, you have this mismatch. Um, and so that is part of what um, made the activists decide to push for change at the national level. Um, so to scale up, basically, okay. from this fight in Buenos Aires. Uh, in addition, 
in 2005, Spain legalized same-sex marriage. Interesting. Um, and so there was this perception among activists in Argentina that if, if it happened in it. Spain, we can too. Yeah, right? right, right. So that it did have this, while you don't see policy diffusion kind of going across the states in Argentina, um, you do see this sort mm -hmm. of, uh, yeah, sense that. And in Argentina, they're really called provinces, but I'm just right. sort of calling them states here for... So anyway, so that that's sort of now we're moving on to the national okay the national fight. All right. So this is from page one thirty and one thirty one. While uh, Christina Fernandez de Kirchner had expressed support for civil unions and gay rights more broadly, her position on gay marriage was less forthcoming, maybe evolving, as uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, executives like to say. During the election, activists met with Minister of Justice, who would become Fernandez's head of cabinet, who expressed that the government had not taken a position on the issue and asked them to create the necessary conditions so that the government would be able to support the enactment of gay marriage and that they could count on his support to press for the cause within the cabinet. Right. So here is a well-placed... Here is a well-placed ally. How did they get the meetings with this Minister of Justice? He, I think, was also one of these people that had been affiliated with human rights activism prior. Got you. Right, so he was connected to some of these movements, and so they had an in um, through movement connections. Yeah, that's critical. And then, but I also think this is a funny one, especially given this other part of like the legislators only moving after public opinion has shifted, where Christina says, or he says, create the conditions that we can support it, basically. Right. All right. So he, so the minister says to the activists, create the conditions so that the government would support it. Yeah. I mean, this is what Obama also said uh, famously throughout his his presidency. Uh, what he was someone very, um, yeah. He constantly said that, like, you know, make me do this. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting too. Diaz later discusses um, how Christina, and I'll quote from some of uh, page 136 and 137, did not take an official position for fear the opposition parties, which held a majority in the lower house, would instinctually oppose the executive's position. Sure. So she saw, like, understood herself rightly as a lightning rod, right? And that yeah. if, she, if she took a position, that it would then cause this issue to become partisan. Yeah, right? it turns out maybe that people who are like leaders of things <laughs> and who constantly receive yeah. all of the negative feeling of whatever organization they are leading because that's what leaders do is they just absorb whatever negativity is happening in the group that like maybe they have some understanding of that role and skilled ones yeah. have to operate within skilled those constraints yeah skilled right. obviously because there's loads oh, of unskilled, unskilled ones like but i i do crazy. i do think that it is like this is interesting right that she was basically like she was being cagey, not because she was, it was like a savviness, and not yeah. in like some kind of like stupid 4D chess kind of whatever like internet talks about this stuff now. That's I feel really, like I it's as though it's like some kind of like, oh, genius, but it's like, if you've no, ever been I mean, the leader of any like, organization. I don't wanna, I know I'm polarizing. Yeah. So I'm gonna like hang back as long as I can. And then she says um, that they would support the reform if it passed Congress, right? So they basically they're like, it, they're, Acknowledging that there's no veto point, right? Yeah. If you win this, we're on board, right? Yeah. And then also interestingly notes that they would take, she would be willing to take a public position once the Catholic Church gets involved. So you have this kind of interesting moment where there's like. And you assume that her position would be contra the Catholic Church. Yeah. She, so, they had a really bad relationship, the Kirchner's did with the right, Catholic Church. Right, so they, so she's like, if the ch if you can get the church to take a stand on this, then I'll pummel the church? No, I think, <laughs> no, I think not trying to get them to take it. I think saying, I'll back, like, I'll be I'll a backstop back against, against the church. The because church. whatever the Once reaction to the Catholic Church well, is like, involved, <laughs> and well, I'm like, ready to and oppose. Kind of I, I understood it as, like, once they get involved, this is a different level of politicization anyway. Right, right, yes, right? of course. And You've so got a whale like, in this now, yeah, right? Yeah. Like, now we are... Yeah, so that like that there was this sense of, like, okay, I'm going to try to stay yeah. out of it. It's actually better for you if I stay out of it. This is politics. Yeah. Like, so, I, I like this, because this is, like, actual... 
Yeah. This is politics. Yeah. So I, I, I quite enjoyed this whole part about the whole like. There's all kinds of fun politics in this. Yeah, uh, and it's chapter. it's actually it's very nice, right? It's very nice that articulation. I wish I would. I'd like to learn a little bit more about this justice minister, and his previous connection with movements and yeah, stuff like I don't that. Because, remember I mean, enough part about because him. it's like a critical it seemed like it was a critical part of the argument at least as well, you the Kirchners were me. I think he he's there he's there in they're like in. He's who they're talking to. But the Kirchners had again been sort of supportive right Christina had already they talked were, to they were like Peronists, quasi Peronists. They were Peronists. They were Peronists, yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean the Peronist party is very um ideologically diverse. It's right. like some of these a number of these Latin American parties yeah. that has quite a lot of diversity within the party. Um, there's a lot of kind of like party. factions or tribes or groups or whatever. Um, but they had been support, like they came in sort of on board. So they didn't really need convincing so much as like, you know, strat, right? I mean, there's like, I think there's some sense that they're probably going to be okay with it. Right. They represent a left yeah. Party, okay with civil unions. Yeah. So, like, even though they're not taking a stand, they yeah. had maybe been supportive of the Buenos Aires thing. You know. Okay. Okay. Um, I've got one here about how activists did not believe. I'm sorry. Activists believed that gay marriage was not the ideal type of same-sex. So some activists. Some activists. Excuse yeah, me. Sorry. Even many you've written here. Yeah. Uh, Argentina's gay and lesbian movement coalesced around gay marriage, making it a priority. The meetings were followed by intense collaboration among activists and an agreement on common strategy, which involved the application of pressure on legislators through direct individual lobbying, as well as winning the debate in the court of public opinion. Yeah, this seems like a common feature of gay and uh, sexuality-based activism is around this question of, you know, the respectability of marriage as an institution. Right. You know. So that part I thought was less interesting. Oh. As the... Sorry. Well, no, 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 no. That part is going to be interesting, but not in the specificity. So not so much in, in that this is about... like. But that the movement managed to well, that, put like, aside I, I, petty disagreements <laughs> and like yeah, focus basically. on the big long-term yes. goal. So this is the part that I actually, given that we've been talking about... Not when that I was, it's petty, right? I mean, like... No, they're petty, big. They're, they're important, important questions, important right? Stuff. And I mean, and theoretical questions, and they have big value of like... Yeah, like, are we supporting a patriarchal institution? Yeah, right? So it's there's not like petty. big, it's not petty. But what I think is interesting about it is a couple of things. One is like, since we've been talking about this like collective action framing versus connective action, this is like the opposite. This is That's decidedly this the is old collective. school collective, Various. right? That this is like. I don't totally agree, but you know what? We are comrades in this struggle. And, and it's we like are... that once that group sees like this is moving. Right, that they don't want to expend their energy on it. Some of them don't even believe in it. Some of the big group was called CHHA. Um, but they're like the most powerful group, and they are yeah. actually not on board at first. And then they're like, well, oh, shit, shit, this wave is, is crashing. And so, like, like, this is my way. We got to right? get on because this isn't my like, favorite kind of wave, but I'm going to ride it. <laughs> and, well, not just ride it, push it, right? That, yeah, like, okay. that, like, we are like now full in. Like whatever we thought about we this can't really before. Push a wave. Well, you know, whatever. <laughs> but you know, they, but they that's the idea is that like that, that they're like gonna actually fully get on board and be behind this so that you get these activists that maybe didn't think this was the right this is not where they would have gone next. This is not, but once it is going, they're like, well, there's important symbolism here. There's important It seems like important lessons here about yeah. like just glomming on to momentum. Yeah. Yeah. And just letting that momentum, if it's going in the right direction, yeah. let it carry you forward. Right. So that that's sort of this, that's like they definitely interpret it in that way. Like, like we're not even, we're not even, like I think that's a better, I think that's a better kind of conceptualization of it than like the perfect being the enemy of the good here, right? Mm -hmm. It's really like there's momentum moving in the direction we want to go. And You're, so we got to get. Because, yeah. because fundamentally, if you are a marginalized person in a society, you are a hitchhiker. Right. right. And so you just, if the person is going in the right direction, you jump on the back of that truck. Right. And go as far as that truck's going to take you. And it's not like, it's not in this case where you were kind of like, it's not like a selling your soul alliance. Yeah, right? they're going you're in the right direction. But not just they're oh. going in the right direction, but you're talking about other allied activists. Yes. Right. This isn't like, 
oh, we're going to like. Yeah, you're not going to, you you know that you're not going to be killed when you hop in the back of the <laughs> truck to keep <laughs> right, this metaphor. Right, right, Yeah. Going, which might be literally the case for some of these. Right, no, people. absolutely. And like, so I think it's like, it's not like you're getting on board with somebody that you really don't agree with. Like, these people are getting on board with people that they fundamentally agree. Like on a, on a yes. larger thing that they fundamentally agree, even if they have differences in, even if some of those differences are large, like fundamentally these these people are yeah. aligned, right? So it's not, you know. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. All right, all right. You want me to keep, keep yeah, going? Yeah, keep going. Here? So from page one thirty five, I see that in interviews, activists and allied legislators constantly referred to the notion that in Argentina. Uh, Las leyes se ganan en las calles. Laws are one in the street. I think that should have been las calles. No, yep, it should have. Sorry, calle. it's a typo. It's all right. But yeah, you win the laws in the street. Yeah, I thought this is kind of an interesting political... I mean, I don't know that we would say that here. Oh, hell no. Right? No. Um, so I think that that's No, I feel like well, there's a real strong lag between yeah. public opinion. But in fact, I mean, the way and that... protest politics... Yeah, certainly. Protest politics, yeah. I mean, but that's even, like, one more step. I mean, I feel like what we know about public opinion in the United States is that public opinion tends to push against the direction right. that we're moving. Right, right, right. That, like, right. we tend to be... We tend to moderately... And with growing intensity, reject right whatever is happening. Whatever is happening, right? Right, which is different. I mean, I think yeah. that that's right. That we are much more like a crappy thermostat, <laughs> right? I mean, that's <laughs> the, what they call the thermostatic model, right? And whatever. Uh, there's, you know, I don't want to get into the methodological stuff here, but it, yeah. it, But it, I think you're right that this speaks to a particular cultural politics, or a, a, I'm sorry, a particular kind of um, articulation of like popular happening popular opinion public opinion and political life yeah. right that is not necessarily right this universal. is like, right that this is like part of when we think about we could call this political opportunity structure or something yes. like that yeah. right in yeah. the sense of like our kind of social movements literature and that the political opportunity structure in a place where you would get regularly people telling you that laws are one in the streets right, right. is like well, a here's very where, different context and i feel like the next quote exemplifies this. So this is from 138. Activists managed to convince leaders of the bigger congressional groups to allow their members to vote freely, which is like the exact opposite, right? I mean, I think I think that is a very unusual that essentially they allow their their members to vote more aligned with public opinion rather than party, yeah. like to to be sensitive to particular public opinion dynamics that may be relevant to them rather than, you know, following a party. Yeah, and this becomes, fa I think this part is also totally fascinating about this this issue in Argentine politics, and I don't know. I mean, I wonder how they managed to convince the leaders to do this, right? I mean, is it, what is what exactly is the case that they make? Yeah, I don't know. I he mean, doesn't, I don't think he goes into that part, but it's that, it's clear that, like, part of the process is, like, I mean, maybe it, it's where. Like, is this such a is this such a shallowly is is is. I get is the sense party um, coherence so shallow. I think yes. Okay. I think yes that you already have low party discipline. Right. Yeah, party so, discipline. Is so what that I was looking for. you have like low party discipline overall, and then I think because of the way the parties are that the that there's. I think I'm remembering this correctly from this case. I don't know that much independent okay. about the like this issue particularly, but that the moral, the, the like the moral politics stuff doesn't map very clearly onto gotcha. the partisan divide. So that there might be some things where that this would be a more mm -hmm. disciplined partisan kind of right. But on social, thing. but I mean the parentists are more. so if the parentists are one big pole, and the parentists are non-ideological, right? I mean not non-ideological individually, but, like, the party is, right, had everything from, like, neoliberal reformers mm -hmm. to populist mm -hmm. left leaders, right? Or starting with populist left, going to neoliberal reformers, swinging back to mm -hmm. populist left, right? So yeah, you're not talking about a super coherent party ideologically, yeah. Yeah. period. So that then that you would give your legislators free reign yeah. to, you know, there may be some issues where the party 
does try to wrangle its members a little more. I don't know enough yeah. about party politics in Argentina. But I mean, I'm sort of curious about what exactly were carrots and sticks in this in this particular world of meetings, or if this was just like, hey, uh, I don't know. You might not support us publicly as the Peronists or as the UCR, but can you at least right. free your got right? Can you at least send the message down the pipe that do as your conscience or whatever, yeah. or as your district, or you know, I don't know what. Yeah, interesting, interesting. All right, uh, when this is from page one forty, when the gay marriage proposal was in legislative committee. The little direct pressure exerted by the Catholic Church, which was felt primarily through the Catholic lawyers who spoke during the hearings, surprised many deputies. According to some of them, weak pressure was also the result of their misreading, this, misreading of the support that the initiative had. But it could also be explained by the wide media attention that a sex abuse scandal involving a former bishop was attracting at the time, as well as concrete steps it was taking to lessen the strong tensions that had characterized its relationship with the Kirchner administration since 2003. That's interesting. Yeah. Right? I uh -huh. mean, that the, basically the Catholic Church, this you expect this to be a great antagonist, mm -hmm. and then suddenly it kind of rolls up pretty weakly and is not particularly interested in the fight. Yeah, and I think we see this actually, we're going to sort of come back to some of this in the Mexican case, see echoes of this, where I think the church underestimates that this stuff will ever like get out of committee and like so that they don't get involved very early um partly because they're in sex scandals right, right. they're a wreck and that they're you know you'll get some good quotes on that in a minute um and mm -hmm. then partly because of this the sort of low profile thing um, that said, opposition intensified once it goes through committee. Right. 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 So like once they, it's, they once it's got a shot. Yeah. So from having this is from page one forty one and one forty two. From having kept a low profile, the Catholic Church leadership then, once it goes past the committee level into the you know full chamber, articulated vociferous public opposition, um, and that the church framed its opposition as an issue of children's rights and right. discrimination against children. Right. Um, the cardinal declared that children have the, this is a quote, children have the unalienable, unalienable right to develop in the bosom of their mothers. Um, so it uh -huh. became this huge, that was like the main, they also adopted a kind of rights framing. Yeah, but I mean, um, you're not exactly a reliable source on children's yeah, rights if you're the Catholic Church. Right, in this moment in that this they're facing I mean, a... Anytime, really, right I mean, now, right now, these are, these, this is an ongoing... Well, so I think maybe your next card is going to get there. All right, so the Peronist Whip recalled, this is on page 144, I used Peronist doctrine in my condition as a woman to get votes. I reminded them that Peronists had been behind the expansion of rights to minorities and to correct situations of injustice. You are in a position of power and can't deny these rights. I am a practicing Catholic, but this is a question of rights. I told them that I would listen to the priests the day they stop abusing children. Yeah, I mean... Right, but this is like a completely... This is a slam dunk. Ridiculous. Like, their framework is... Yeah, what a... That's a real... Theoretically makes sense, but they're like, yeah, going for the rights of children while they're all over the, you know, news molesting them, right? So, I mean, yeah. this is yeah, just Yeah, it's like, a real blunder. Yeah. Well, they don't... What are they... I mean, the blender is the molesting of children, right? Because, like... Yes. Yeah, no. Anyway. Surely so, you could come up with a better... I mean, like... Well, I mean... We're going to lead with protecting children. <laughs> like, we are... This is, this is an institution that is, you I think know, because this is the way in which I think Diaz is perhaps correct, that one of the things that happens is that the... Um, the rights frame becomes mm -hmm. so... Powerful. Powerful that, like, they try to fight back using that same rights Yeah, but they're discourse. trapped in it. They've got nowhere to go. Right. They've got And nothing. the more that they try to harass people into, conf like, the more they try to pressure against, put pressure against this, the more that people then associate them with the authoritarian period yeah. where they supported, like, yeah. human rights violations. Mm -hmm. And so, like, basically everything that they do seems to, if not, increase the you know like increase support at least like it it really neutralizes their opposition yeah. the sort of their role their role as an anti-human rights sort of actor in the authoritarian regime mm -hmm. then their sex abuse clearly they're not concerned with the rights of children when it's their they've own lost priest, all credibility right? they've the, lost any authority to 
and to so speak that, about rights. And so yeah. if you can press it into that frame, then you've cornered, yeah. discursively cornered your opponent. Yeah. Who's already shown some serious missteps. Yeah. And this, I really think, his Jordi Diaz's case, and we'll, we can talk about this as we get into Mexico a little bit, which we're about to transition. Mm -hmm, I see that. I think this is the strongest... I don't think you see this as strongly in the Mexican case. His like arguments about framing, I think, work very clearly in the Argentine case. Mm -hmm. And I think hold, to me, seem to hold far less clearly in the Mexican mm -hmm. case. Um, so to finish up the sort of Argentina story, um, and this is also interesting, it gets back to some of our previous conversation about the sort of right to vote freely and these parties and mm -hmm. party discipline. So the final vote in the lower chamber when this comes to a vote was 126 in favor, 110 against, and four abstentions. But interestingly, the vote did not split along party lines, but cr cut across the parties. Right. So that wasn't like right. Peronists versus the, like, this was like Peronists and not Peronists, <laughs> right? So that you had this kind of, um, you had this sort of moment of definitely seeing that sort of vote freely and whatnot. Um, and then getting the bill through the Senate was far more challenging, right? Because of the, I mean, this is true in the U.S. too, right? The Senate in Argentina, like in the U.S., overrepresents rural areas, right? This is, these are places where you're less likely to have sort of popular mm -hmm. support for gay marriage. Um, but the Senate is also tends to be, those candidates tend to be much more um, subject to pressure from governors and the executive. Right. And so this is when Kirchner really gets, or uh, Fernandez, Christina, really gets... Involved. Involved, right? And that she sort of puts pressure on Peronists to like stick to the party line. So this is again where we're seeing that vacillation that sometimes there's gonna be this pressure on the party and sometimes not. So here's an example where she really pushes the Peronists to, to stay in line. And then she does this amazing thing where she takes several of the opposed senators to on a trip to China that is during when the vote is happening so that they are not present in the Senate. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, I mean, that's quite, I mean, so obviously they were willing to... Yes, to be absent. Yeah. Right, yeah. so she gets them out of the bind of having to, like, how to vote in this right. moment. Um, so what else do I want to say? Just a few other things. The Facebook gets mentioned several times in this, just coming back to some of the themes we've talked about mm -hmm. in class so far. Um, this is in the 2000s, so social media is becoming important, maybe not quite as important as today, but one of the things that I think is worth pointing out and is clear is that Facebook was never part of the coalition building, right? It was like certainly part of the public opinion, court of public opinion fight, um, but not, this was not being used as a tool to really like build a coalition, that those mm -hmm. coalitions were coming through, right? They were like getting unions on board and getting, mm -hmm. right? So that this was not happening. This was happening through groups in the meat space, right? And like the, yeah. the sort of stuff that Facebook was being used for was like far more this kind of diffuse public opinion um, yeah. stuff. Uh, yeah, so that's that's sort of the conclusion of the Argentine okay. story. So now we're gonna switch over to Mexico. Uh, where gay marriage was approved in the legislative assembly in Mexico City, and the subnational reform um, then had national ramifications due to a court ruling. So we're going to see sort of that process of how that worked. Um, like in the Argentine case, the Mexican case shows extensive coalition building. Um, one thing that I'll add is that I had previously thought, and we had talked about the Chilean case as an outlier in how late homosexuality was decriminalized. But in Mexico City, in this chapter, it's clear that the penal code considered homosexuality child molestation also until 1999. Mm -hmm. So it seems to me like the context of legal repression was similar to the Chilean case. At least de jure, these people were, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like gay activists would have been criminals. Now maybe, I don't know if the Chileans were, whether the de facto stuff was different, but... You know, know, and it was also talked about, right, the police edicts in Argentina don't get revised until late. So it seems like the de jure levels of repression, at least locally, were, um, hmm. even if at the national level that they didn't have this kind of criminalization of homosexuality that, like, at least in these local areas that theoretically, right, I mean, if, if homosexuality was still child molestation, right, right then... So anyway, I thought okay. it was kind of interesting just in the sense that I had earlier sort of 
thought that the Chilean case was quite different on that. And when I was looking at some of these fights, in Not the, so sure. I was less sure that they were that really a, different on the sort of legal okay. criminalization kind of axis. So. All right. Uh, Vicente Fox uh, pushed for a constitutional reform to prohibit all forms of discrimination, a reform that came into effect in 2001. Fox became the first Mexican president to have referred to the importance of protecting sexual minorities from discrimination in his first speech as president-elect. That's pretty wild. Isn't that wild? Right, because he was like super Catholic, right? So the PAN, the PAN is, a super is Catholic party. as Diaz refers to them, the confessional party. Right. Um, so this is a sort of interesting, interesting moment. But he's also a corporate guy. He's a corporate like a guy. Like a transnational corporate guy. Very cosmopolitan. Yeah, he works He's a globalist. For, he's a globalist. Um, but it is interesting that you... I mean, it is democratization, so he's also standing up in a way for rights in a moment that is... You know, he is the first non-pre-president in Mexico. Mm -hmm. He's mm -hmm. this first, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. president that's ushering in Mexican democracy. But it's still fascinating that you have this actor mm -hmm. from the Catholic Party that yeah. is now taking the stand. I wouldn't have expected that. And it's fun juxtaposed to this next quote that you're about to okay. read. All right. So this is 161 and 162. After the national anti-discrimination law passed, gay activists turned their attention towards civil unions. But this effort failed in spite of extensive activists organizing and consider considerable state and non-state support. The explanation why centers on the mayor AMLO, uh, uh, of why centers on on the, the mayor AMLO opposed the bill, like the left yes. paradista. So this is the, they're trying this in Mexico City. Right. And here AMLO opposes. Okay, representing a more traditional and socially conservative wing of the Mexican left, and given the close relationship he attempted to build with the Catholic Church as he planned to run for the presidency in 2006, Lopez Obrador opposed the bill and gave instructions to city deputies not to support it, given the tight party discipline that characterizes the Mexican party system and the perilous consequences that challenging the party line can bring to legislators, opposition from the party that commanded a legislative majority soon crystallized. That's fascinating, right? Isn't that amazing? So yeah. it's like you have the, right -wing the party. professional party putting this national anti-discrimination law and then the local left mayor opposing it. Um, yeah, that's interesting. That's interesting. Oh. So anyway, one of the things that you see about the PRD here, which is the Mexican left party, is, and you see this also actually interestingly with the PRI and to some degree even with the PAN of just, again, that the moral issues in the party system haven't congealed in the same way that... In Argentina. No, or even here. In, in, in yes, the U.S., in right? I mean, oh. I think in the, in the United States, I feel like what we think about when we think about left and right... We could think about them in economic terms, but we would also map onto that generally a kind of social conservatism yes, versus a social liberalism. Yes. And it's clear what you see in these cases, the Argentine case where across the part right, the parties don't actually vote together on the right. gay marriage issue. And then here you see in this Mexican case where there's going to be tremendous um, variation. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah. So anyway, that it's, okay. I think a, it's one thing to note that just it seems that on the moral issue dimension there's not as clear. Yeah, it rapidly takes, I mean, I guess it's sort of, it doesn't have this period of what we would think about in American politics of an issue evolution, mm -hmm. right? Like it's already, it, it enters the legislative process before it's even become, had a chance to become an issue. Right, in a certain regard, right? The, the parties don't, and, and I mean, in, in a certain regard, because then the parties actually vote across party in the Argentine case, right? It doesn't, even then prompt it to become a partisan issue mm -hmm. afterwards. That's a little different in the Mexican case, we'll see, because mm -hmm. of the party discipline you get. Right, right. And I guess I'm also struck by the way, in terms of these political opportunity structures, that in both instances, you're coming off of long periods of, of um, non-democracy. Right, longer, not so long in Argentina, but more tumultuous. Yeah, like a much crazier. Yeah than Mexico. Mexico's stable authoritarianism right. for 70 years. <laughs> right, right. Okay, so then on 162, we see that conditions changed dramatically with the election of Marcelo Ebrard, a socially progressive individual who had openly supported the civil union bill. And the bill was reintroduced and passed two months after his election, right? So really, ma executives matter in this Right. I mean, in this one, it's like I feel like we see very little kind of framing and like yeah, this no, is like very is. much dominated by um, 
by the yeah by the party personalistic by the, power by structures the, yeah and the, yeah not just by the party but then by the like actual leadership mm -hmm. and how they stand um so i think that like i said even though ds talks about framing in this case i just think we see it much less clearly here okay um and i think he makes it clear in more than what I gave you there, that Eberard comes in with a strongly reformist agenda. He also yeah. decriminalizes abortion. Wow. He um, does this, like, they call it something like express divorce. Like, he makes it easier to get a divorce. He, so uh -huh. he, he, like, very rapidly puts through... Destroys the nuclear family. Destroys the nuclear family. Um, and there's also some evidence of this in the Mexican case that's, I think, really fascinating that, like... Diaz writes off as like a weird ex anomaly, but I think in a way it actually kind of fits with the story in a sort of surprising way, which is that in Coahuila. Um, Up north, right? Yeah. Okay. You have this pre-governor, a woman, mm -hmm. pre-governor, who basically watches what's going on in Mexico City and just decides that she's going to legalize civil unions, even though there's basically no gay activism in Coahuila. She's just like... Oh, we can do this? Cool. We can do Done. this. And she's sort of like trying to separate herself because... So the party system... Mexico has a three-party system, but in most states, it's actually a two-party system. Right. Right. So the competition tends to be between two of the three parties mm -hmm. in most places. And in the North, it tends to be pre-PAN, right? So right. that the... Pre, and so one of the things that the pre in the North was doing was trying to set themselves up as like a more progressive social, like right. socially more progressive than right. the cat. And the so sort of Fox had sort of. Well, not Fox, but probably in general, the pawn in those northern states was taking, took generally these more kind of Catholic right. positions. I, I'm sorry, and so yes. to separate herself from, and the party more generally, the pre in Coahuila, right, so the sort of more local party was trying to sort of stand different mm -hmm. from the pun mm -hmm. right now that they all cared about the same neoliberal economics. Right, it became an issue. She, yeah, so she, and the they had in Coahuila just sort of by chance a really progressive bishop who she knew wouldn't oppose it. So she just basically legalized. Yeah, she had the opportunity and... Yeah, and just does it. So and again, a very kind of executive-led mm -hmm. um, process, which I think, again, like, this is very different from the, the streets rule kind of Argentine. Yeah, no, this is very right? top-down. very different kind of uh, story here. Um, oh, cool, so anyway, here's this, like, mechanical the... post-hole digger. Very cool. <laughs> All right. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on outside our window here. All right. Okay. So, uh, 175. Similar to the Civil Union Bill, the passage of the Gay Marriage Bill in Mexico City happened rapidly following the 2009 elections. The passage of civil unions three years before had shown activists and their allies in the mayor's office the importance of pushing for reform and controversial topics soon after an election in order to limit what hesitant deputies could ask in exchange for their votes. Yes, this is really like a horse trading... Oh, yeah. This is totally an executive world, right? This yeah. is not at all. Well, this is like a very different political landscape. Um, yeah. And again, I think we see the importance of those coalitions and those activists. And again, we see the importance that it is, in fact, collective action, coalitions built over time, active in these struggles, because there's learning. Right. Right. So, I mean, to me, what was more important in the Mexican case than the framing almost was the coalition building and then the ability to, like, take the political moment, right? Again, like, you're still, like, you're seizing the political opportunity, but in a quite different way than I think it looked in Argentina, which is, like, we don't get into the streets. It's, like, as yeah. soon as somebody that's in our wheelhouse gets elected, then we're going to, like, try to ram this bill through. Yeah, like, yeah, I mean, I think it's a recognition election, right? of, of, like... It's like a capacity to see things as energies, you know, <laughs> like okay, let's get out our crystals here, you know, but, but, but honestly, right. I mean, part of it is that it is a, it is like an, it seems to me partly it's an embeddedness in the system, which allows groups to sort of, to feel, I mean, I'm going to get real weird here, but like to <laughs> kind of feel the vibrations of what's <laughs> happening across the system. You know what I'm saying? Sure. But I and think 
so they're feeling the vibrations, <laughs> but I think I still want to point to the fact that, like, okay, they we also see a little bit of Facebook and social media use in the Mexican I'm saying you case. can't feel any vibrations there. You're only feeling very personalized vibrations right. on that. And, and so I think that the thing that I You're think not is, embedded in anything. You're still in your own head when you're yeah, there. Yeah. So you feel vibrations in your head, right. which is why everything's so toxic on the <laughs> internet, because it's all just vibrating inside your dang head. Yeah. But if you're actually in the world... Right. Right in these embodied networks of like physical bodies of strangers, but not even that so much that I mean, yes, it's embodied, but I feel like the more important part here is just that it it persists over time, Uh right? Yeah, that's also not true about online activism. No, that's very, very you you go to this, you sign up for this protest, you right, which is very different than the kind of, yeah, and not to say that in protest events that use um, social media to generate people in the streets that there Truly. isn't underneath their coalitions of activists of course, of that course. are potentially very savvy. And But, it, but I think it is like what we see here is the m- part that matters in these stories isn't those moments of like dragging people into the streets, yeah, which are... we actually see very little. Right. What we see a lot of is these activists having forums and like lobbying candidate you're not can't well sometimes candidates and sometimes legislators and sometimes people like ministers and right we see all of this stuff that is happening on this far more yeah um going to dang meetings social movementsy side as opposed to this sort of street protest yeah which is epi- which seems like it's epiphenomenal to the to the underlying to this story you don't just it's not there's not a whole lot like in of seeing like mass street protests right. it's like a lot more of this kind of yeah, you know, pushing in a different, you know, sort of social movement pressure. Clearly, social movement pressure, but not through mass mobilization. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. All right. So uh, here we go. On one seventy six, the Catholic Church, the most fervent op- opponent to reforms in moral policy over the previous three years, was in the midst of another sex abuse scandal. And would be ill-positioned to articulate an argument hinged on moral principles. Yes. <laughs> I mean, there again. There we go. Yeah. Yes. Oh, I mean, child molestation? Yeah. Uh, sorry. I mean... Like, that's where it's really happening. Yeah. They, again, try to do a similar move. Think of right? the children. But, like, I mean, again, right? When Pure you're like, insanity. You're all over the news for molesting children, and then you're like, no, but the children... And then you're psychotic. Yeah. 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 All right, so page 180 and 181. The pawn miscalculated and did not initially spend much time articulating counter-arguments. When they realized that the bill would rapidly proceed to the assembly, they presented a variety of opposing arguments that did not show coherence. So they weren't able to get any framing. Right. Right, so it was already moving, and they were attempting to frame it, but like it's hard to frame a process already in motion. Yeah. And I mean, I think again, like I said, I think the right sort of framework was at least weaker, shown less convincingly in this case, whether it was also operating. But my guess is that it was weaker in the Mexican case, just knowing what I know about Mexico Mm -hmm. versus um, Argentina. But that even still, the movement was far more coherently framed around rights. And then again, when you have the Catholic Party and the Catholic Church and the like, and then that the PAN is doing like catch up then the pun does this interesting move where they're like what we need is a referendum this has to we have to take this to the people you know so they Mm -hmm. also sort of try to push and delay and try to not get this you know to be voted on um so they they do some 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 things that are interesting and there's one other interesting part that i want to say before you mention it which is another fascinating part of the parties is that the pun in mexico city so the Pawn deputies in the legisl- the state, the day the DFA, the Mexico City Assembly, um, were unusually young, on mm-hmm, average. Mm-hmm. This was a young party in Mexico City, and they actually yeah. didn't care about gay marriage individually as people. Right? They're yes. young. They don't care about. They don't care about gays. They don't care about gay marriage. They like this is just a non-issue for them. You do you. And so the other part of their failed framing, I think, comes partly from the fact that they were only, like, tepidly on board because they were like, mm-hmm. whatever, we're with the pawn. We have to defend the family. It's, like, in our party charter mm-hmm. that we defend mm-hmm. the family. So, like, okay. we're going to vote to defend the family. But it's clear that, like, the deputies themselves, many of them, 
just this is not an issue that they care about, which I think is also going to hurt their ability to make a convincing frame. Like, they just don't care. They're like, yeah, like, whatever, you know. Yep. This guy's gay, and so what if he marries, right? <laughs> you have this very different, which I think if you... Yeah, and really, older, I mean, I think that we should also be clear that the that people who are in politics, I mean, despite the popular opinion that, you know, everyone's always lying, like, for the most part, only the truly psychotic can actually withstand mm-hmm. consistently lying in like a in a really like way that violates their own set of moral principles, right? Like truly is a psychotic person that can continue to lie and lie and lie right. and like make a strong case for something they really don't believe in. Right. right. I mean it really is I mean, yes, 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 yes. People compromise right. and believe that they're exchanging something right. in exchange that's like yeah. compromise, but that's different from just out and out lying. And right. I think that it is probably the case that it's just difficult to be a liar. Yeah. And like to yeah, have and an, like to yeah. make a convincing Oh yeah. You know, the, on this tri- tip of lying though. There is some sneaky, we do see some like sneaky politicking that happens in this whole thing in the DFA. Assembly? Yeah. The Chamber of Deputies? Basically, they, the sponsors agree to, in order to get hesitant deputies, they agree to put on this, this like part into the bill that bans gay adoption. Mm -hmm. Right? So that like to get more people to sign on, they're like, no, no, this isn't going to mm-hmm. affect children, we're going to put this ban on adoption so that okay. we're going to say that gay people can't adopt. adopt. And so they go through and negotiate the whole thing with this, like, ban on adoption. And then after, immediately after that vote happens, one of the deputies puts an amendment forward to remove the ban on adoption. <laughs> and then in a slightly closer vote, I don't think I have the voting numbers, but they end up repealing the ban on adoption so like they pass it without that ban but like part of the horse trading negotiating whatever that's happening is like partly happens through this like well it's okay because we won't allow gay people to adopt and then (laughs) the very end it's clearly like they never they're just like this is antithetical to rights so we're gonna scratch this and yeah, you get this uh, i mean i can imagine how that goes right i can imagine how it goes where you know, one person remains willfully ignorant. So you've got, let's say, I mean, I can absolutely see how this goes, where one person is like, one person takes the lead on convincing these hesitant deputies, and it's like, we'll give you this thing. Like, we got this, so, like, you guys are morally covered, don't worry about it. All the while, just sort of willfully ignoring the fact that colleagues of his or hers on the Chamber of Deputies will never never stand for that, right? So he is offering something, or she is offering something to the opposition, that he or she really, in their heart of hearts, if they thought about it, probably knows never has a chance. Right. And right? maybe even, I mean, who knows? We don't know. This is a case Some of, good like, political stories are here, they, like, offering it in good faith and then they're undermined by part of their this, own coalition? Or are they totally disingenuously, like, offering There's no it? way of knowing. There's it's no great. way of knowing, right? I think this is good stuff. This is, like, some real good politics stuff. The other thing that I was thinking about on this is how... In this particular environment, right? And in, in, in the Argentine case, too, you can say, like, I feel like it's a common trope among activists to complain about an executive, like, forming a committee to study right, the problem. Right, right, When, in fact, the lesson from this text... Oh, they were powerful in both Argentina and Mexico. The lesson Whenever from this text committee. is that, like, if the executive forms a committee... He has invited the wolves into the metaphorical hen house. Yeah, and definitely get on that committee. And definitely get your ass on that committee or make sure you get one of your people on that committee or make sure you quickly, uh, you know, trade in whatever whatever possible connections you have to access in a good way the people on that committee. Yeah. No, that was important. And you see that throughout both of these cases of, like, these, like, forums and the like committees where like these like you know in a way like vapid promises are made but then that get leveraged into I was on this task force on social social events policy when I was an undergraduate right Mm -hmm. I was on the special appointed task force I I knew it was happening I wanted to get on it we didn't do anything (laughs) but 
I mean, so it was kind of a, it was a failure because I think in part because yeah, it was just what it's not important, but the, the upshot is that the reason I wanted to get on it was so that I could have dinner at the president's house. <laughs> right. Obviously. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that was, that happened. Right. Right. Which is to say like you, those committees, you know, if you're smart and intelligent, I didn't, I didn't give a shit about what the right, committee yeah, was yeah, on. Yeah. I just thought it would be fun to have dinner in the president's house. Right. Cause like I was, well, a, if you had like, I mean, you then have a moment where you're having dinner with the president, which like if you, you are, you have informal links, informal yeah. networks, you can see these people later you have, I mean, it is the part that I, it's, I mean, the reason that I wanted to do that is because I love politics, right? right. I mean, like that's yeah, the yeah. reason that I wanted yeah. to do it is because I love politics and that is like a part of politics. And so I guess I just, I, what I'm, all I'm saying through this is that this book gives me reasons. I guess it just sort of reconfirms my own um, suspicions about how misguided it is to complain about committees being formed, which do slow the process. Well, I think there's both oh, good. rights to Libra moment. Well, <laughs> Well, I mean, whatever. So, you know, I have this whole paper I'm working on that I haven't been doing enough on the last week on symbolic it gestures. Take 30 minutes after we do this while and, I'm wrapping the podcasts, um, while I'm doing post. And, uh, and I think that we do see plenty of examples where these things are used as to demobilize, right? All right, and we're back. I <laughs> This is, I think, our most unprofessional podcast. This is. This is here. a good one. This um, is a good one. Anyway, let's go ahead and wrap this up so that we can... Uh, Get on the committees. <laughs> I think that was the upshot of what I was saying a second ago. Yeah. That's all. Even if there's sometimes... Don't, don't lose your focus. Don't lose focus. Don't let them snow you, but get on the committee yeah. and be exactly. you know, professional when you're on there because yeah. becoming implicated into that network is part of how you make the change. Yeah. All right. All right, keep reading. All right, I'm, I'm reading, sorry. Uh, Calderon, that was a successor to Fox. Calderon's government, oh, see, I know these things. <laughs> Calderon's government decided to challenge the constitutionality of the reforms before the Supreme Court. Wow. And on page 193, we learn that the court ruled that all states in the Federation must recognize gay, must recognize gay marriages contracted in the Capitol. And another ruling on the matter that said the struggle for gay marriage in Mexico City waged by activists and their allies had ended. And then it became indirectly available to all Mexicans outside the capital city. So basically, Calderon tries to challenge this, as do some people. And the court knocks the, him down. And some states also try to challenge it, and the court basically upholds it and basically extends it then indirectly to wow. the rest of Mexico. Wow. Um, that if you are married in Mexico City, you are married. In Mexico. Judicial independence. So, yeah. So, the courts were relatively progressive, and they, they win. Mm -hmm. So, it's a big win in some ways. Um, and, like, just as a quick sort of tempering of the win, they win the gay marriage. Um, but because of Mexican federalism, this also doesn't end up extending Social Security benefits. So, this is sort of the problem that we saw in Argentina when they first do it at the subnational level. The same thing happens in the Mexican case. Um, and there has been some efforts to then legislate the extension of benefits at the national level, but have continued to stall in the Senate, mm. I, at least at the time of this writing. I don't know whether anything else has happened on that okay. um, since then. But that, you know, it again, this was like an important symbolic victory, important for, you know, allowing mm -hmm. people to marry, but did not end up conferring some of the concrete benefits. Right, the economic benefits. That um, that gay couples would have been, same-sex couples would have been fighting for. So. La lucha. Sigue. Sigue. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so anyway, so that's that's the sort of story. And we'll get to see our case of Chilean failure next week. Great. Um, Good. Yes, and so. Jordi Diaz is going to come talk to us next week. Wonderful. So that's going to be fun. All right. Um, Maybe by then I'll it. have the, all these different files <laughs> merged together. and knitted together. Uh, apologies, y'all, for, for whatever. No, I'll make it. I'll make it. I'll make it good. All right. All right. Thanks, guys. Oh, I think this guy's coming to talk.
Oh, oh, oh.